Welcome to the Dharma Spring. Good evening. I was impressed how the uh, furnace was sitting with us. <laughs> it ended, and then you rang the bell. I thought, is that our new timekeeper, or is it just <laughs> the way it is? It was nice. So, um, a week or so ago, I was in conversation with one of my students, and I have this thing that happens every once in a while, where I'll say something, and I don't really know what I'm saying, but it comes out and I trust it. I've learned to trust it. Because then I get to hang out with it and wonder, what was I talking about? <laughs> what was that about? It didn't really, like, not me. Here's the advice. It's like, well, here's what's coming up for me. And, um, yeah, then I get to be curious about it. And I get to hear it just as much as anybody else who might be listening. Yeah? <laughs> um, in this case, it wasn't... I knew a little bit about what I was saying but there was also still space around it to, to explore. So I've been just hanging out with that um, for a little bit, that little phrase that came up. And um, what I appreciate about it is, well, many things, but one thing I was noticing about it is that it came up in conversation with somebody in it arose in that conversation, so it wasn't something that was carried around waiting to be given to somebody. It didn't really exist in that particular form until that conversation happened, and it arose. And so, it highlights for me, we talk about in, well, we translate in our refuge vows, there's the third one, which traditionally, well, in English traditionally, is I take refuge in Sangha. But we translate it to my companions, which is one meaning of sangha. Sangha meaning community, and it could mean this community or the world community. But our translation is, I take refuge in my companions. And so, when I'm meeting with the student, it's not, I'm the teacher, you're the student, and here I am conveying stuff to you. It's, it's two companions who happen to be labeled student-teacher. Yeah. But we're always companioning one another, and things arise in our relationship that way. So it's just touching it at that. It's like, yes, I take refuge in my companions because I'm not sitting here figuring things out and giving it to people. I need all my companions to help me realize something. And it's not just limited to the human companions either. Yeah, Everything a companion that we companion, <laughs> and things arise and it offers something and we offer something in return. And so um, I really appreciate that aspect of this practice. It's definitely not a one-way street. Um, not even confined to a street, it's just a wide open territory of arising and noticing, yeah? <laughs> um, but this particular phrase became interesting By the next, maybe even that evening, 
I was like, wow, that's interesting. And looking at it, and by the next day, I was like, this is good enough. I'm going to tweet it. <laughs> so I tweeted it, and my, my Twitter's connected to Facebook, so it went on to Facebook, which means it's now on the Internet. And as we know, if it's on the Internet, it's true. <laughs> so now it's the truth. Yeah? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but the phrase that came up was, Zen, so our tradition, Zen, takes away more so than it gives. Teaching what you don't know, you already know. So Zen takes away more so than it gives. Mm -hmm. Teaching what you don't know, you already know. So I'm going to spend most of the time with the beginning part of that phrase, but the end of it, the thing that you don't know, you already know, if I had to put it in a nutshell, is that you are a Buddha. You are an awakened one already, fundamentally. From the very beginning, you have infinite wisdom and infinite compassion, infinite resources and infinite capability. You just don't always know this. I don't always know that. But it's there from the beginning. Yeah? And that's that thing it's teaching me and teaching us that we already know. We just, sometimes we just don't believe it, right? I mean, it's in the teachings. We read that. From the beginning you are awakened. and It's in our sutras that we chant sometimes. But for me, there can be that, yeah, right. <laughs> But I have to, I go through this practice and do that taking away and giving a little bit that I'll talk about in a bit. And that helps show, oh yeah, this is, I do know this, but I didn't know I knew it. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's all I want to say about what it teaches, because you already know it. I've already said that. You already know it. I don't need to tell you more. I'm, I'm curious about the, the, the taking away more so than giving. Um... When somebody comes for the first time and we're meeting like we're orientation, what I find myself coming to say over the years is that when you show up, you're not asked to import anything. We don't have a belief system. There's nothing for you to take on. So we don't say, to be part of this community, you need to believe in this and do, you know, it's like, show up as you are. And at the same time, we also don't say, you need to get rid of things that you have. A lot of times, people want to get rid of stuff. And that's fine, but it's not a requirement. It's, again, you show up as you are, nothing to get rid of and nothing to take on. Notice what it's like to be who you are at this moment. That's really the invitation. And that's where things, you know, that's the groundwork or the ground zero that's where things take place in your life as it is right at this moment. That's where your practice is. And that's all that's needed is just to have a life, <laughs> show up, be willing to look at it for, well, a long time. <laughs> look at it for the duration of your life. <laughs> at the same time, so I do acknowledge that we do give a little bit of something. Um, 
if this is your first time here or you've been coming for a while, one of the things you're given right away are, is a form to follow. We sit facing a certain way, the hall is structured in a certain way, there's bows and there's bells and we walk. So it's a form to follow, but it's an empty form, so to speak. There's no magic in it. It's really that form is given to you as a companion. Because without it, you can just be held wide open or not held at all, just loose and not held in any way. The form is just something for you to bump up against. You might feel held by it, you might feel confined by it, and that's your experience of it. So what you're, giving, what you're given is a companion to bump up against and show you, hmm, I don't like this bowing thing, yeah? Okay, good. Do it more. <laughs> it's showing you there's something there. It's not about deciding is bowing good or bad or what's really going on with bowing. It's very different for each person. But it helps highlight, well, what is this for you? And that might show you something beyond your, your first reaction or response. But maybe there's something bigger there. Or you might go, hmm, some people complain about bowing, but I love it. Well, why is that, you know? So again, the form isn't some magical thing that's doing something. It's just a companion to have. And we have lots of forms and ways to do things. So you're given that. But not just for the sake of this is what we do. It's for the sake of being curious and noticing what it's like to follow those forms. Yeah. And then... Beyond those, we have teachings. Back to the historical Buddha and all the ancestors. And we have sutras, things we study. and More teachers are talking and writing books and all that kind of stuff. So that might be something you're given in this tradition. And you might even feel like you're given a new way to view things. A new perspective you hadn't known before. But really, the spirit of being given those teachings isn't, you need to take on these teachings because they're true. Individual people may say, this is true. This is what I found and it's accurate. That's what people do. That's just, you know, that's what it's like to be a human. To try to figure it out and capture it and give it to others. But the tradition, the practice, Zen itself doesn't ask you to believe it, doesn't ask you to take it on as, yes, this is true. You're asked to look into it, see how it is, notice, yeah? So it's another form of being companioned by something. So the teachings aren't really insisting on this is how it is, they're saying, here, live with this for however long you wish to, consider it, notice it in your life, let it be your companion and see what you find. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you could go on and on looking at the way things are given, but I think that's the fundamental thing in, in this tradition is you're not asked to believe anything and just have blind faith in it. Test it out, yeah? Again and again, never stop testing it. Always be testing it out. Yeah.
So I want to lean into the, the taking away of the practice, which I, according to my phrase, which is now truth, again, because it's on the internet, <laughs> that the practice takes away more so than it gives you anything. Because it trusts that a human life is not a problem to be solved. It's a rich experience to be lived. So why does it need to add anything? It, it's more that there's things that have gotten in the way of knowing that, that the practice helps take away. To go back to that, you are a Buddha from the beginning, teaching, which you already know. You just don't know, you know. Yeah. And so, I was noticing there's, there's different levels of taking away that happen, and really it's a, an organic kind of taking away. I think about the sculptors who describe, you know, with that piece of marble, they're not trying to create something. They can see the image already in there, and they're chipping away to take away everything that isn't the image, right? And that's kind of like this practice. There is an inherent Buddha within us, an inherent awakened nature, inherent awakening itself, but it's gotten covered up by stuff that prevents us from knowing it and seeing it. And perhaps more so than chipping away at things, it's more of letting those things kind of fall off on their own, those non-me things, those non-essential things. They just kind of fall off. So they're taken away from us, not aggressively, but very subtly and passively. Or sometimes they can be a whoosh. <laughs> yeah. And it's because we have, it's a deconstructive practice taking things apart, looking at it. I think about how, it's been a while, I've realized, but I used to think, and this is going to date me too, when I had a VCR <laughs> and it was messing up, I was like, I can open it up and check it out and fix this, yeah? Whether it was a VCR, sometimes it's the car, I need to fix, you know, pull the panel off, fix something in there. And then when I put it back together, I've lost a screw. Or one of those little tabs that punches into that part of the car. It's like, oh man. <laughs> um, so I, it's no longer factory sealed. Yeah. Because it's been taken apart, there's actually more space around it, even though I can put it back together mostly and it still functions fine. It's just missing a screw and it's a little bit looser. That allows more air in. And that's kind of what we do with ourselves in this practice. We sit and we notice, and we kind of let ourselves fall apart. We might try to take, do a little bit more, more intentional taking apart, but we kind of let ourselves drop away. And then it's time to pack up and leave and move back into your life. So put yourself back together. Maybe you're missing a screw, or you know, <laughs> maybe you gained more screws than you had before. I don't know. <laughs> maybe you'll lose all your screws. <laughs> But you, just by the act of taking apart, even if you had every single part back in place, just the act of taking apart and put, putting it back together has created space. You're, you're no longer factory sealed. Yeah? So that's a taking away too. It's a releasing. It's an opening up. Taking away an original structure. Um, maybe it's not an original structure though. Something that came from a factory at some point in our lives. Yeah? Our self-manufactured 
factory sealedness. <laughs> and in addition to, you know, that's just basic meditation of sitting down and being still and quiet and paying attention. When you stop moving, things just kind of settle. But we can also have the more intentional noticing of, hmm, I don't know if it's intentional or just more vivid, noticing of habits of thought and action that we've had for years. And we just thought that's how we were, yeah? Because I've always been this way. And it didn't seem like any big deal, but we felt maybe oppressed by it or confined by it. Then we notice it in the space of meditation, and we notice it's there, but there's space around it, actually. And we're not confined to it. There's more possibility than just that thing that seems to have been arising since as long as we can remember. And then we might even notice at some point, I wasn't like that. There was some origin point for that that I completely forgot about. And I've been doing it for so long, I didn't realize I made it up. <laughs> or it was created by conditions. Like, huh, maybe I'm not always this way. And so we're, that's taken away from us as too. It's again, from us, as, taken away from us as well. Is what we think we are. What we're sure we are. Yeah, what we're sure is a problem and the reasons we can't. And we notice how we were getting in our own way. And that's kind of taken away from us too. We're, the ability to get in our own way is highlighted. That way we have the ability maybe not to get in our own way. So uh, uh, taking away in the sense, again, of opening up more space around who we are, what we are. And then those habits... Hmm. Some will fall away. We realize that was something that was manufactured and that served a purpose that's no longer serving. It just became reaction and it fades. Or we might find a habit that had an original function, but then it overgrew itself, built up layers and layers, and got disconnected from the original function. And then we might just lose those layers and get back to the original function, realize, oh, it's actually helpful, but just up to this point. And then I can not have to pursue it through all those other layers that were keeping me from seeing its purpose. So I just say that because it's not all about get rid of that stuff. It's just noticing what have you developed that's a hindrance and what did you develop that's actually helpful but you've lost its utility, Yeah. So noticing the those things, yeah. Hmm. And letting them be taken away from you. It's almost like the way they're taken away is not necessarily by leaving, but by not letting them dominate the landscape and the territory anymore. Sometimes they're all we can see. We come to a practice like this, we sit, there's space around it, and realize there's a vast landscape here. That was just a part. Now I can see it's not the only part. Yeah. So back to that original phrase about the taking away. 
teaching what you don't know you already know. I found one word changing and opening up to a different side of this taking away. The changing phrase was taking away, no, teaching. Sorry, so I'll start from the beginning. Zen takes away more so than it gives. Teaching that you don't know what you already know. So instead of touching into that place beneath everything, this is going towards all the things you think you know about yourself and the world. You don't really know that. <laughs> and I think those two, the one I was just speaking of, this one kind of, they, they walk on the, you lean one way or the other, it's kind of the same thing. Um, but your certainties are replaced with doubt in the positive, questioning, being curious kind of doubt, not a negating doubt. But I was so certain about this, but now I've realized um, that's not so true, and I'm not as certain anymore. I'm not really sure who I am, and we say in this tradition, yay, <laughs> uncertainty, all right. <laughs> it reminds me of a story of... Um, it was a Westerner who went to a, a Japanese teacher. I don't think that matters, but it, maybe it does. But the student, the person going there to see him, said, I'm a very angry person and it's always a problem and I'm causing difficulty for myself and others, for myself and others, and I really want to do something about my anger because I'm just such an angry person. And the teacher said, well, show me your anger right now so we can do something about it. He goes, well, I'm not angry right now. He goes, well, then you're not an angry person. And right there, oh, this belief of I'm always an angry person was right there, shattered, because right now you're not. <laughs> so those kind of things that we know about ourselves or know about our family and friends or know about the world, when we invite looking into them, questioning them, getting space around them, we can have our certainty taken away. <laughs> and it opens up into that more spacious way of really looking and seeing. doesn't mean that that person was never angry again. But perhaps he knew, oh, I'm angry right now, but because I wasn't angry at that time, I know I'm not always like this, and that it will change. So whatever stories we've developed, or inherited, really, about, again, ourselves and the world, those are loosened up and taken away from us, opening our experience to, well, what's actually here, Right? That one feels, even though it's kind of a very similar process of, I, I call it organic, we just notice these things. That one feels a little more active than the other one, which seems more subtle to me, more passive. But I think it's active because I'm more invested in those stories, because they have to be true. And then it's almost a threat when I start to realize that they're not. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, that means I was wrong. Oh no. <laughs> but that's good. <laughs> Take away my... Uh, thinking I was right. <laughs> hmm. And then there's another level I noticed with our knowing, which could have been what got us into this mess in the first place and had us show up to a practice like this and, and take it up, is that we know 
that there's a thing like awakening and enlightenment out there, and we know what it might look like because we've seen it in others, and we know that it's possible. So we want to know it for ourselves, but we have all these ideas about what it is because we've read books and we've listened to teachers and we've doubted ourselves because that couldn't possibly be it. Yeah. Well, this practice takes away those ideas. That enlightenment, awakening is some, well, whatever you think it is, that shiny thing or that thing that I think we people tend to think is beyond us. Yeah? So it takes away our knowing that by showing us it isn't so. By showing us you just as you are, again, through direct experience you understand you are infinitely wise, infinitely compassionate, infinitely resourceful, and infinitely capable. And you find it out by letting those other things be taken away from you in one form or another. And then you're offered, maybe not and then, all along you were offered this, but maybe it becomes more clear as time goes by, maybe maybe that's just me. <laughs> maybe some people it's clear right away. That's great. That even if I say I know through my direct experience that I am awakened and infinitely capable, I'm putting limitations upon it. I'm confining it in some way because I'm knowing it. If I'm holding on to it in any sort of way, does that make sense? I've had this experience, and I just, well, that happened, so I know it's true. Don't even believe that. Another story comes to mind of uh, somebody who probably went through a very similar kind of practice that we all go through because this person was a human, as I think we all are. And something happened, something opened up. And so... You know, he came kind of light on his feet and joyful and said to the teacher, I've come with nothing. The teacher said, well, put it down. <laughs> he goes, well, how can I put it down? I, I haven't come with anything. The teacher says, okay, keep carrying it. <laughs> so even when it's all taken away and that vast expanse opens up, We don't need to do anything about that. We don't need to make it into something or make it into nothing, which is to make it into something. We just keep going again and again, seeing how it is. So you're not even asked to trust that this is true, to trust that this will happen, it's, well, what is it? What will you see? What will you find? And when you find it, you don't need to hold on to it. Because you will find whatever it is will be their companion in you if you allow it, yeah? 
when you allow it. No reason to hold on to it. Trying to hold on to it might restrict the ability for it to arise. So whether it's the stories we have about ourselves that tend towards the confining, or the stories we have about ourselves that tend towards the shiny bright stuff, if we hold on to any of those, we're limiting ourselves still. So the practice really takes away any kind of knowing, any kind of certainty, any kind of yes, this is how it is, as a statement of um, solidity. And more of a, well, yes, this is how it is, because I know it right at this moment. Where it's not the knowing in the head or the knowing because I've been able to capture it, because you can't capture it. But it's the knowing because here it is right now and I'm feeling it. And that's where it gets, you know, it can get muddy and tricky too because that even applies to the stuff that we would never say is awakening. <laughs> Stubbing your toe or having your heart break open, you know. I guess those are two big extreme examples. <laughs> um, But, yeah, the practice is a great thief because it steals our idea of what enlightenment or awakening is. Because if we have any idea of what it looks like or what it is, then we're setting ourselves up not to know it for ourselves directly. Say that again, Andrew. That if we we're have... Setting ourselves we're setting ourselves up not to find it, mm-hmm. not to know it, because we put a condition upon it. This is what it would be like. It couldn't possibly be. It's like, well... Yes, the possibilities are infinite, <laughs> and it's, the manifestations are infinite, just as we are infinite. Yeah. So have a look at it, notice this, see how it is for you. Notice, you know. Maybe for the, well, whatever practice you've been taking up, but maybe for those who've been doing this for a while, or maybe not for a while. Notice if you've been telling yourself a story that you've been given something, when actually you, when you really look at it, you've already had it and you didn't know it, yeah? Look into that for yourself and see. Um, the way that my iteration of that is. Um, I've tried to think back, and some of you have heard this, I've shared it. Like, how was I before I started practice? And how am I different? And how have I become somebody different? And what was I like back then? And I can't really find anything that I can put my hands or my eyes or my thoughts upon as to this person I was before practice. Part of it's you know, older and maybe not remembering things. But I think it's more so that who I was and who I am has always been there. So it's not like I was something else that transformed into a different person. It's just, to go back to what I said earlier, is the things that I wasn't got out of the way so I could see more clearly 
the me that's always been here. So I don't know how I was so much as how I wasn't who I was. <laughs> Even that's hard to put anything on. But that's how I noticed. I was like, huh, I can't find this. All of a sudden I became a different person. I've just become more and more me the more I go along. And um, So far, I'm, com- I'm getting along with this companion of myself, okay? <laughs> it seems all right. <laughs> but... Again, notice what it's like for you. Look into that and see if you notice anything. See what you notice. Of any fundamental change and shift of who you were. Or again, if, if you have a story of, this gave me something, and look and see, is that true? Maybe it's, the, again, that great thief that released a freedom you had no idea was already yours. Yeah. <laughs> And not yours, because no reason to hold on to it. It's just, it, this is it. <laughs> All right, thanks. Thank you for listening. For more about Andrew Palmer and his teachings, please visit bowandroar.com and look for him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.